This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. So, elite number one seed Derek Grant, Eddie, um, took over the game last night and single-handedly, almost single-handedly, you know, John Gibson had a lot to do with it. Defeated the Stanley Cup champions last night. What the yeah, hell not is the going guy on? You'd expect. <laughs> not uh, first uh, career hat trick for Derek Grant, which I guess is no surprise. But uh, I mean, it's never a bad thing, right? It's never a bad thing when a guy you don't expect scores a hat trick. But it would be nice to see uh, some of the guys we're used to and Silverberger Raquel doing the same thing. Were you blown away by that game last night? I, I was watching it with uh, with Jimmy and a bunch of people at his uh, his wife's birthday party. And I was like, what is going on here? I mean, we had such... And we'll get to the game before. By the way, welcome everybody to Forever Muddy Podcast. Uh, we'll get to the game before because I was at that game and it was pretty pretty bad. The uh, the Ducks lost the Sharks. But I want to talk about good news first, which is Derek Grant, um, who hasn't really been very good at. Like, his underlying numbers are pretty crappy. And he, he, you know, he gets a couple chances here and there. But last night, putting up a three-spot, dude. And now he gets to name yeah. his uh, his buddy's kid. Well, yeah. If if anybody deserved to be healthy scratch for that game um, out of the Ducks' current forwards, you would think Derek Grant probably should have been at the top of that list. But I guess good thing it was Andre Cash who ended up being scratched instead of Derek Grant in that game. He, he looked good. I mean, this was obviously his best game of the season. It's been a tough go. And, I mean, again, Derek Grant isn't, uh, you know, the – the uh, typical guy you'd look for and when you're looking at consistency when it comes to putting up points you know him and, and carter rowney and then usually whoever the third guy is they put on that line they kind of have their role and and a lot of times it becomes down to penalty kill and, and just being a disruptive fourth on the fourth disruptive force on the fourth line but whenever he can uh, he can contribute like this it's always great and i mean don't expect it too often like you said this is the first uh first hat trick of his career and i expect it might be the only one he ever gets but wow you need prediction. it some... well, yeah <laughs> I, I don't i don't think it's too too much of a hot take but i i mean hey sometimes you need it right the, the ducks are not going to be one of the top goal scoring teams in the league so whenever you can get uh, an individual effort like that from a player you don't expect it from it helps you go out and beat the defending stanley cup champions and and of course you know we can't forget john gibson and the way he played in that game 37 saves only one goal against he was a big factor in why the ducks held on in that game but Derek grant grabbing the shorthanded goal and the even strength goal and then the empty netter that uh that goes a long way to helping the Ducks win that game. I mean, that shorthanded goal was a beauty, though. That was a yep. beauty. That was a great play. Good intercept by him. 
and then to walk in alone on Bennington like that and put that little move on him. And Bennington's had veteran move. A, I mean, yeah, veteran move indeed. I mean, Bennington though hasn't been bad. He was sitting like prior to that game around a nine twenty five, I think nine twenty eight save percentage. He's he's had a pretty good run this season. It's not like he's you know backup quality goaltender after winning the cup like a lot of us suspected. He he's been having a good go. But uh, he gets beat by, uh, you know, fourth-line grinder. That's pretty much what happened here <laughs> the whole yeah, game. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, in, you know, obviously the first goal uh, ended up being a nice passing play between Getzlaff and, and Max Jones, which was nice to see mm, very Jones nice. get, uh, get a chance to be on a top-six role because I, I don't think there's been either many or any games where Max Jones has played outside of the kid line with Steele and Terry, which was technically the Ducks' third line. Or the fourth line with Grant and Rowney, and now he gets a chance with Getzlaff, and they convert, I think, within the first four minutes of the game off uh, kind of an unselfish play by Max Jones to uh, pass it back over to Getzlaff, which I guess kind of goes against what they've been telling him to do is is kind of make things more simple and just shoot the puck more, and he ends up making the pass, which uh, turns out to be a good thing for the Ducks. But, you know, that combined with John Gibson's game and the play from Derek Grant in that one, it was a nice kind of, like you said, a happy moment for the Ducks after losing five in a row and it just felt like you looked at this game and then the one where we'll talk about later uh, coming up against Washington, you know, the two best teams in the league right now, best team in the East, best team in the West. It didn't look like it was going to get any better, and this is a good step to making things a little bit better. Yeah, no, I mean, Max Jones has played well since he's had time uh, with Ryan Getzloff, which is, like you were saying, great to see. Uh, he played along Ricard, with along, alongside Getzloff and Ricard Raquel on that line, so not not bad teammates to have when you when you're trying to get your scoring touch underway. Um, question for you: Who do you think played the top forward line minutes of five on five? Oh man, I I would think it would be Silverberg and and uh, and one of Hen- him or Henrique. I would think Nick Delorier, Derek Grant, and Carter Rowney had the most five on five ice time last night against the Blues. <laughs> against Jeez. the Blues, <laughs> ten minutes and yeah. one second according to Nat. I was Satcher. surprised uh, Nick Delorier didn't fight. He tried. Uh, he had back to back games. He tried. He tried to kill Oscar Sundquist, but Cam Fowler came over and bear hugged him, uh, and was for whatever reason looked like he was trying to protect Oscar Sundquist from being being murdered by Nick Delorier. Um, if you want to hop into this, after Gibby just got absolutely rolled, um, yeah. I was on Twitter going back and forth with a few people about this. Uh, Oscar Sundquist, in my opinion, Ed made no effort to stop, no effort to go around Gibson. Sure, he tried to tuck his shoulders so he didn't clip his head or whatever. Still clipped his head. Um, John Gibson is well out behind the crease or behind the net handling the puck before Sunquist even gets there. So in my opinion, that right there um, means that uh, that's I mean, not only is that a penalty, but I, I mean, I would have gone as far. If he would have got a five or done something for running the goalie like that and they would have gave him the rest of the game off, no suspension. I understand, no injury. But uh, yeah. a two-minute penalty to me just didn't suffice. And then a fine of seven grand. Like, what does he give a shit about a $7,000 fine? Like, I think there should have been yeah. more for Oscar Sundquist there. I think there should have been more in that game. I, I don't know about a suspension because he does try and get out of the way in the sense that he tries to bounce himself off the boards. There's nowhere really for him to go. You could argue that he probably shouldn't even got himself in that position and, yep. and gone behind the net to try at that speed to try and get the puck from, from Gibson. And, uh, you know, Gibby maybe puts himself in a tough tough position there in a player who can't really stop. But, yeah, I, I think it was a dangerous play by Sunquist, and he probably should have gotten a five in a game, and that be it. I, I don't think it's suspension-worthy. Um, 
know, they have to come out and do something because they only gave him the minor, right? So they had to come out and do something. The hearing, I think, is warranted. And then I think based off of the play itself, I think the fine is warranted. I just think there should have been more in the game. I think if he was given a 5 and 10, we probably wouldn't have seen the fine today. We might not even have seen a hearing because I think that would have been it. You know, he would have been technically out of that game, which sometimes... When you look at suspensions, they use that and they kind of count that as already a one-game suspension. So sometimes they don't hand out further suspensions afterwards. So I think in game, based off that play, based off the way things are going, he probably should have gotten five and a ten. Well, I don't. I think if they would have gave him a five and a ten, I honestly, like you said, we're not talking about it. One uh, and two, a five and a ten to me, and that that play happened. I it was it in the second period where that happened or the third period? Yeah, I think it, I think it was in the second. I'll have to go back and check, but I know that if that would have happened in the second period, five out of ten, he's gone. Then no one's calling for anything. It's over with. It's fine. He got what he deserved. But um, thankfully, Gibby wasn't injured, man. I mean, that's yeah. There's a big possibility there. You take a headshot. I mean, and, and some of the some of the defenders of Sunquist come out and say, "Oh, he put he even went to put his arm on him to see." It's like, dude, it doesn't matter. Yeah, sure. Yeah, he's, and, he's and trying to chip from the behind puck. too. Yeah, you're, you're he, unsuspecting, and in John Gibson's case, so that could be a lot worse than it actually was. I mean, I was I was trying to say to somebody on Twitter, like, I don't care if he was expecting or unexpecting or doing whatever. He drove through with his stick leaning forward. No one Gibson was was behind the net playing the puck. It's, you can't make contact with a goalie, one, ever. Two, you can't make head contact with anybody, and he did both. So, yeah. and, and yeah. I'm, I'm not screaming for game on game, you know, suspend him for like, nothing, nothing of the sort. But just, you got to call it. And I, I felt like the referees kind of let off a little easy there. To be honest, yeah, it's I, I kind of under you know sympathize with him a bit. It's a tough one to call in that game. You do you can't give a double minor because the, that's just not precedent for a play like that. So you really only got two choices. You've got a two or a five and a ten, right? Like you've only got that one choice, and one's in the low end of the spectrum in, in terms of a minor penalty. The other one's on the high end of the spectrum in a five and a ten. And, and I felt like it probably could have fell in that middle ground. I think it was a little bit closer to being a five and a ten. But it wasn't. I don't think it was obvious that it would. Be, it would be every time that ever happens that you would call out a five on a ten. So it's it's a tough call, I think, to make in, in the time there and decide whether it should just be a minor, and then you wait and see after the game with the hearing and what else if there's going to be more supplemental discipline, or if you're the refs, you give the five and ten, and that completely influences after what happens after the game in terms of further suspensions or fines. So it's a t- I, you know I think it's a tough call to make. I still probably would have leaned towards giving him a five and a ten and then you know just stopping things there and, and not having you know because that risk you run the risk as well as a, as a guy like nick deloria going out and headshotting or, or you know headhunting sunquist or other blues players yep. after that you, you never know what, what that's going to happen because it's clear that the players didn't think that a two was sufficient enough for what uh you know what could have happened to john gibson when was moving on here? I, I don't. We don't need to beat a dead horse any further than that. I, I could rant forever about how it should have been more. And you know me, dude. I don't defend goalies over anything. But uh, yeah, Andre Kasha. I mean, how many games has he come back since his quote unquote jaw injury? Oh man, I think he's played at least three or four, right? Three or four, and then he was a healthy scratch last night. Uh, I gotta ask, man. Do you feel like there's something going on with him this season? Injury wise, yeah. I mean, he's he's got one goal on the year. He's, I don't know. He, he doesn't seem like he's been getting the same quality chances as we would come to expect from a guy who's a noted number, you know, top five play driver in the league. Um, and we, he just hasn't 
done what we expected him to do. He gets scratched in last night's game, and I mean, it didn't hurt the Ducks at all, which is kind of kind of strange going against the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, I mean, I think he had a bad game against San Jose. He was minus two and, and didn't look too great. Uh, but nobody really looked great in that game against San Jose, especially in that third period. And before that, you know, he had two assists against Detroit. And yeah, and, I, and just looking now, it has been four games since he came back. It was pointless against Edmonton and pointless against Minnesota. But, you know, the points haven't really been coming up for him. He's got seven in, in 15 games, which is not great, if you're, especially if you're expecting him to be, you know, at least by around 10 or 11 mark right now. And, uh, you know, you'd hope with four or five goals. So I guess in that sense, he, he's been down. But he's not been the worst Ducks player by any means. No, not at and all. And he still is. Yeah, and he still is one of the best play drivers. So it, it is an interesting decision by Dallas Aikens to healthy scratch a player like that when you're on a five-game losing streak. And you're going into a tough game against, you know, the, the defending Stanley Cup champions. And you decide to... You know, you know, bring Devin Shore back in to keep Nick Deloria in the lineup to keep you know Derek Grant or Carter Rowney in the lineup. It's a weird one. I I, I didn't really understand it. I I don't know why. You know, I hope he's back for next game because despite him struggling, like I, he's still one of the best play drivers the Ducks have. He's still one of the you know their most dangerous offensive threats. So unless it's maybe you know like you said something more sinister on the side that he's dealing with an injury and they just don't want to. You know, put it out there that that he is still dealing with an injury, a lingering injury of some sort, or it's just the fact that they're just trying to give him a wake up call and say, hey, like, we need you to put the puck in the back of the net more. We need you to be playing with some more urgency, and and maybe it's that. Yeah, I mean, it could be a number of things, but I mean, it's a bad stretch for him, right? He's only he's played 15 games this season, so he has missed some time. He, I mean, he's still on the positive side of most of the underlying numbers that you're going to worry about. Um, so I, I'm not writing him off by any means. It's just. You, the Ducks need more scoring uh, from a number of players. And, and it, I mean, to re- you can't rely on Derek Grant, as you said at the beginning of the show, probably his one and only hat trick. Um, you're not going to see that kind of production out of him again this season, you would imagine. So you need guys yeah. like Andre Kasha to step up. You, I mean, you need – I mean, Ricard Raquel did, a goal, did get a goal the other night against San Jose. So he was able to get Silver one back in the goal. scored against uh... – does Silver score against San, San Jose as well? I think or that? so. I'll have to go back and check. But yeah. uh, it's the team just needs more scoring, and that and that's something that we felt last season too. We gave Randy Carlisle a lot of crap about systems and how things are going to be different this year with Dallas Aikens, and they have been. The teams looked a lot different. Uh, the style of play is a lot better. The flow is a lot better. But the scoring just still isn't there. I, I'm not really sure what to say about it at this point. No, yeah, and you know we knew that was going to be a struggle for the Ducks this year is goal scoring and having guys who consistently put the puck in the back of the net. Unfortunately, I think you know Andre Kasha was the guy we were expecting to maybe have a bigger season this year, and we we got a question in the chat here uh, from Akumara who said, "What has Kasha's shooting numbers been like this year?" And, and and it could be a sense of luck for him. I mean, he's got 36 shots in 15 games, so about about two shots per game, a little bit more than that. But his shooting percentage is two point eight percent. Yeah, now, well, well, well below. <laughs> yeah, so you know, in, in contrast, last year was eleven point seven, and the year before that was thirteen point seven. And league average, I believe, falls around you know nine, ten, eleven percent. 
So it should go up. You know, things should realistically get better for Andre Cash. And, you know, there is a chance maybe he has a down year. You look at his his first year, and it's tough to gouge a guy, uh, gauge a guy off a rookie season, but his shooting percentage in his first year was 6.5%. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe he has a down year, like where he finishes at 6.57% at the end of the year, and it's just a down year from him. But I would fully expect the way he plays and, and you know, his work ethic and his play driving ability that he gets back and that number starts rising up near the end of the season. And maybe it is, like you said, he, he's dealing with a lingering injury. Who knows? And, and that could be hampering, hampering his play a little bit. I, I just think he needs to find some consistency on a line that complements his abilities. And I think eventually, you know, the goals will start to come for him. Yeah, you would have to think so. I mean, his, uh, his career shooting percentage is about 10 and a half percent. So, you know, he's shooting well below that. There, there is definitely yeah. tons of room for improvement here. So hopefully he's able to turn that around. Uh, just kind of weird how they chose him to scratch. Nick Delorier plays in a game um, where there really isn't anyone to fight on the St. Louis Blues and gets some of the most ice time out of anybody five on five. It's just comical the way these things have worked out. Um, yeah, just when you think Anaheim. the Ducks are progressing, right? Uh, <laughs> Nick Delorier is being rewarded for back to back games with the fight, and and on, you know I I can't hate on him too much because it's not like he's been bad. No, like he hasn't done anything negative. He just hasn't done too much positive, other than you know fighting a couple guys. I think Dalton Prout against the Sharks, and then he fought uh, was it Hronik or somebody uh, in in uh, Smith. I think it was Hronik. He bought, he or bought Smith. Giovanni Smith, right? Yeah. against uh, against Detroit. So I mean, it it still it still is kind of interesting that uh, Deloria has got in more games than Devin Shore this year, and how again he still holds his place and uh, and Andre Kasha gets healthy scratch, and we've seen him hold a place before, and in Maxim Comtois has been scratched, and Max Jones has been scratched, so. I don't know what it is. I mean, I guess Dallas Akins does like having that type of guy in the lineup. We know some coaches historically do like having a player like that in the lineup. Uh, if he's not hurting the team, fine. But when it comes to a player like Andre Kasha having to make way as a healthy scratch for, for Nick DeLorean, I think that's where you, you start crossing the line. You can make the argument with Devin Shore, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't think you can you can make that same argument with Andre Kasha. Yeah, I mean, Ricard Raquel, three goals in the la- in his in his last five. Uh, Jack of Silverberg, two goals in his last five, but five points in five and five. You know, these guys are still yeah. scoring. Um, let's talk about the defense. So you'd notice something, I mean, that we've kind of talked about here and there, but you went and dug up some stats on uh, Chris Weidman and, and why the hell he's not been called up from San Diego uh, with, you know, with all the injuries we've had on defense this season. And it's just kind of, kind of curious how he hasn't been given a shot, right? I mean, the guy has played in the NHL yeah. before, so why not give him, why not give him a chance? Yeah, and, and you know I know the depth in San Diego isn't great, just like it is uh, in in Anaheim right now. Their defense depth is, is lacking. But um, when you you see the Ducks go out and get a guy like Eric Goodbranson, who doesn't do too much other than be a stay at home defenseman, and then he has his own struggles to begin with, and plus has a, a four million dollar contract that extends into next season. And, and then you see Simon Benoit get called up and doesn't play, and and you know he's not an offensive defenseman by any means, but he's still having a pretty decent season with San Diego. Uh, Josh Mahura gets called up and, and, you know, he's not struggling. But again, like he's not having a great season by any means in San Diego. And then you got a guy like Chris Weidman, who has 14 points in 13 games for San Diego right now. He's a right shot defenseman. Like you said, he's played in the NHL with Florida and with Ottawa. He would be an ideal candidate at this point in time to call up like you would think, would he not? Because... The Ducks are severely lacking a right-handed depth right now with Holzer and, and Goodbranson and, and now Manson obviously still being injured. Those are the three guys. If Manson comes back, it's Manson, Goodbranson, and Holzer. 
it's not great. You know, I, I, no. At this point, I, I would give Weidman the shot. I think the only problem with that and one of the reasons he hasn't been called up is because of how valuable he's been to San Diego. Like He has 14 points in 13 games. He's been a, a huge piece for their offense right now, and, and not all of that is assists. Too. He has six goals and eight assists down with San Diego, so he's contributing on both sides uh, of the offense uh, on being a distributor and a goal scorer. So it's tough to call a guy like that up and, and leave them shorthanded. But at some point, like the NHL club has to come first. And if you're Bob Murray, you got to look at the fact that, you know, Holzer is struggling. Good Branson isn't that great. The Ducks are struggling to get offense from their blue line. Give this guy a shot. Like he's, he's, he's getting it done in the, in the AHL. He's tied for the, the uh, point lead with the, with the goals with Sam Carrick. You, I, I think at some point he gets called up. I'm surprised he hasn't already, but you would think, with the Ducks kind of grasping for straws on their blue line right now, he'd be an easy call-up. Yeah, I mean, he's played regu- regular season games uh, with Ottawa, with Edmonton, and, with, and he's played one He played one game with Florida, so he's got plenty of NHL experience. I wonder if it's something to do with the fact that he's 29 years old and that you know they've been talking a lot about making this team younger, quicker, giving the kids a shot, and maybe that's yeah, why they haven't rotated him in. Well, Erica Branson's a uh, he was a first round pick. I think he's dude. around the same age. Yeah, I, but <laughs> I, I can I can kind of un- I agree with that in the sense you know that makes sense for why they call it Mahura. Uh, but why you know why why would you call up Simon Benoit instead of Chris Weidman? And and you know Chris Weidman's a right shot, Benoit's a left shot. You know it makes more sense with the with who the Ducks have in the lineup right now to call up the right shot. And Weidman's been the better player down there for for San Diego at least offensively. So. Again, I think the only reason he hasn't been called up is because of how valuable he is to this Gulls team. But at some point, the NHL club has to come first. And when you look at who the Ducks are rolling over the boards with Manson's injury, with Good Branson and Holter, and then having to roll four left yeah. shots, and, and it's, you know, Larson's not playing that great. They're having to split up Fowler and Gooley because Lindholm's been out to play all across the lineup. At some point, this guy has to get a shot with the Ducks. He hasn't played an NHL game with the Ducks. He's been in San Diego to start the season. And, again, it's not he's not a Yanni Hockenpah. He's not a guy who's come out of, out of Europe and played there for the last, you know, five, six, seven years since his, his first in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the NHL. He's a guy who last year played NHL games. Mm-hmm. The year before that, played NHL games. And didn't look too bad with Ottawa. And didn't look too bad with, uh, with Florida as well. So it's not like he is a no-name guy. So I, I can't see him, you know, having that much success for too much longer without getting a call up, especially when Josh Manson's injured. Yeah, and we haven't really heard any timetable for either Manson or Hampus Lindholm. So the Ducks playing without their top pairing defenseman, and it hasn't really looked pretty. Um, we we got to unfortunately talk about that five three loss to the Sharks, Ed, and that's uh, that was some tough hockey. Yeah. Um, Ducks were collapse kind of, in the third period. Yeah, but they were outpaced for a lot of the first period. Uh, second period, it kind of they kind of middled out a bit, but uh, they they took a basically a tight game to the third period and just gifted it to the Sharks. I mean, the Sharks had a power play goal. I think they short-handed also goal. had a shorthanded yeah. goal Kuchar for Vander and, Kane. And, uh, Vander Kane scored, and, and Kuchar it was a two-on-one, and that's something you don't want to give up. Um, I think that was that ended up making it four-two. I think at that yeah. point. Yeah. Yep. And then that so, Couture goal at the end, he just got a gift. He got that little. He had a breakaway with so much time, and then Giddy did the half po check, and it didn't work out great for him. You know, he intercepted the puck yeah. at the top of his own zone and just had yeah, but that, a full sheet of ice. That Kane shorthanded goal is the dagger for me. Uh, you yeah. know, you're still within a goal and you're on a power play. You have a chance to tie the game, and you give up a shorthanded goal, and I think that's you know that's deflating at that point when. 
you've been kind of battling in, in a tough game for the for the you know 40 minutes then they're up 3-2 and you you're, you're getting late in the third period here and you know as bad as the Ducks power play has been you have that chance to you know come back in this game and, and at least take it overtime and get a point or, or you know scrape out a win and then you give up uh, that uh, insurance goal to the Sharks on a shorthanded chance and, and especially give up a breakaway um, when you're on the power play too like that that's kind of tough to swallow. Yeah, and that was not a good look for Andre Kasha on that play. I don't know if you saw, but he was the guy trying to skate back, and he, I don't know if he was out of gas. I don't know how long he's been on the ice at that point, but I remember seeing him just completely have no wheels to try to get back and try to skate with Couture. He was just dogging it, absolutely yeah. dogging it, driving back. He and said nothing left. Maybe that contributes to why he was scratched in the next game. You never know. I, I think you know one play doesn't always lead no. to a guy getting scratched, but I'm I'm sure that you know with the rest of his game, we we already mentioned it wasn't a great game from Andre Kasha, and you know maybe that's enough for for Dallas Aikens to to leave him out of the game. I, I would think that uh, you know a couple of mistakes, a couple other mistakes he had in that game, all those together summed up in, in a benching for for Dallas Aikens for for the game against St. Louis. I mean, hopefully he's back right against the Caps because the Ducks need him. Oh, yeah. And maybe that's uh, maybe that's a, a nice motivational boost he needs to get things going. And he has a breakout game against the Caps because we, we really haven't seen a big a breakout game from Andre Cassidy yet. No, what did you think about the the Thomas Hurdle goal that uh, I think and I think a lot of Ducks fans thought should have been challenged? I talked with uh, yeah with Jimmy yesterday about it. He, why not challenge it? I saw guys on Twitter same thing, and I was I was at the arena and I saw it and I was like how. I thought they were going to challenge it because it was a long pause. It looked like it. Yeah, they yeah. looked they looked at it for a while. Dallas Aikens and and assistant coach uh, I think Mark Morrison they were looking at the uh, the iPad for a little bit. And initially, I thought he motioned to challenge and then called the ref back over and shook his head and said, "No, we're not challenging that." I don't understand why you don't challenge there. You know what I mean? I just don't understand. I mean, it was yeah. a two on one fast break the other way, and pass comes across. Hurdle gets it and tr- keeps trying to stuff it in on Gibson. And if you watch the overhead replay, he's stuffing it in, and it's like in the same motion, pushing John Gibson's pad. Well, he doesn't touch the, the puck line. at all. He, he just he just pushes Gibson's pad backwards, which in turn, you know, I think if he doesn't touch it at all, I think John Gibson's momentum would have taken the puck over the line anyway. So maybe that's why they didn't challenge it. But I think when the fact that Hurdle push John Gibson's pad backwards you know right there that's enough for me to at least challenge it and see if they'll overturn it because we've seen goals like that be overturned because that's been ter- deemed to, as goaltender interference I'm not sure why Dallas Aikens chose not to maybe he wasn't 100% sure and he didn't want to you know have it count as a goal and then also have the Ducks go on the penalty kill against the Sharks mm-hmm. you know that's that that's a tough situation to be in you score an early goal and then you you know get deflating loss of a challenge, and then you go on the penalty kill, and then you know the Sharks power play as, as they haven't been great this season, but you know you have a chance then to all of a sudden go from leading one nothing to down two one. You know that's a tough call to make. Um, I think it might have been overturned. Personally, I would have challenged it, but I, I can see where he's coming from a bit. Yeah, no, I understand, but I mean you got to take the chance. I mean, Toronto, I think, just reviewed it to see if it went over the line. They're like, yeah, it went over the line. It's a goal. Like, they, it wasn't yeah. like a review of, are we going to challenge it? Um, how did you feel about Gibson's game overall against the Sharks? Were you worried about it? There was some Gibson hate. Um, and he's gotten some hate this season, too, for sure. And I just, I don't really understand it. You can't make the guy the scapegoat. Um, he's he's definitely been the guy that's been holding this team down a lot and played very well. But, uh, I mean, how do you feel about his game? He had a great one against St. Louis. But against the Sharks, what were your feelings? 
Yeah, I mean, he's had, you know, a couple games. I think the Sharks was one, and there was a game uh, against, I think it was against the Jets, right, where that wasn't a great game from him, and you could argue against the Oilers as well. That was a tough one. But I I don't want to say he's having a bad game, like a bad season because of it, because look at the defense in front of him, right? You know, the fact that, you know, the the Ducks' two top defensemen have been out for a while now, and and Hampus Lindholm and Josh Manson. Brandon Gooley was out at some point this year. And you've got, you know, Larson and Holzer playing big minutes. You've got Delzato and Goodbranson playing more minutes than they should. That's tough. And the the Ducks are better defensively this year, but by no means are they a great defensive team in front of John Gibson when it comes to, you know, the defense and the forwards. So he's not getting a ton of help either. And, and you know, maybe he's not at the godlike tier he was to begin last year, and, and that's a tough standard to to keep consistent for any length of time. Uh, but I think, you know, he's still playing pretty well. You look at the game, a rebound game against St. Louis where he plays excellent. And the Ducks played a lot better in front of him than they did against the Sharks. So there's going to be games like this all season for John Gibson until the Ducks can turn it around and become a better team in front of him. There's going to be games like that. But, you know, and, and Okamara said in our chat, it was a rough game for him, but all players have them. And yep. as good as John Gibson is, all players and, and all goaltenders included, look at some of the best goaltenders in the league this year. Uh, they've all had games like this, and not not many guys have had to play as many minutes and play as many tough minutes as John Gibson. And a lot, you know, a lot of teams this year are taking the approach. Boston and the Islanders are the two ones that come to mind, where they have two guys that are great goaltenders, and they're equally splitting their minutes. And, and, John, and unfortunately, the Ducks don't have the luxury to do that because I don't think Ryan Miller could handle playing, you know, ten games so far this season. So a lot of the load has gone on John Gibson to play a lot of these tough starts against the Sharks and against the Blues, uh, and now come probably likely coming up against the Capitals as well. So there's going to be games like this, but I'm, I'm not too worried about his game so far. No, I mean, he's faced the seventh most scoring chances against per 60 in the league. Yeah. So he's he's getting a lot of chances against, like you just mentioned. And his numbers are still decent. They're There's, not They're great. good. They're not godlike, right, like we like we no. would expect. But he's been a very good goaltender. There's no reason to sure. to talk about his game in any sort of negative light. Um, I want to talk to you next here about uh, about Max Jones, man. How do, you, how do you feel about his, you know, he gets benched, gets sent down, uh, comes back up. Sure, he's playing with Getzloff, but uh, you got to be happy for the kid, right? Do you think that he's going to be a mainstay there on that top line, and you know, for, for the foreseeable future? I don't know if he's going to be a mainstay on the top line. I just like that he's finally getting chances in the top six because it feels like the last, you know, since the beginning of the season where he's been playing is either on that third line uh, recently with the kid line or on uh, the bottom line with Grant and Rowney. Now that, you know, in, in the game against St. Louis, he gets a chance with Ryan Getzlaff and, and makes, uh, you know, uh, ends up contributing to the first goal of the game on a good pass and play with Ryan Getzlaff. And not mm-hmm. only that, he does have two goals and an assist in his last four games as well. He scored against Edmonton. He scored against San Jose, picked up an assist against St. Louis and was pointless in the game against Detroit. And he's not taking a ton of penalties either. You know, over his last five games, he's only got two penalty minutes and that penalty came in the game against San Jose. So he's, you know, the discipline has always been an issue uh, stemming back to junior for Max Jones. And that's something, you know, even when we had him back on the show, I think, you know, two seasons ago or early on in our podcast, he said, you know, one of the things he was working on was discipline. And the Ducks coaching staff had told him, like, that's something you got to work on. And I feel like he's taking that to heart. And, and this year we saw in some comments from Dallas Aikens is that he's just got to keep things simple. That's the next step in his development for Max Jones. And I feel like over the last four games, he's done a lot better at doing that. 
and now he's being rewarded with uh, you know playing with Ryan Getzlaff. And I think based on his play uh, in the game against the Blues, I, I would expect him to be up back on that top line uh, with Ryan Getzlaff. I would hope so at least. I, I think you know he did everything he could to earn his chance to play there again. Yeah, no, hundred percent, man. I mean, like he's going to get his chance until he goes on a, uh, until he goes cold, right? And yeah. I think that's just what's going to happen if if his score dips a bit, then there might be an issue. Um, one more thing about the last couple of games, the ducks finally broke through on the power play against the sharks, um, getting the rebound chance. They were getting deflection chances. How did you feel about the power play against St. Louis? I mean, I don't think everyone was like, Oh, look, we finally figured out how to, how to score a power play goal. Now we're going to be fine. But did you feel like it kind of veered out out of, out of direction again against St. Louis? Or were you like, well, it just didn't work out. They only had two. Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I, I think one thing you saw against San Jose, and we, the last podcast we had, we focused, you know, I was a heavy focus on the Ducks power play because of those two or three articles that came out about it. And the Ducks have, have kind of feasted on being a, a perimeter team this year and, and really haven't got rewarded for it because, you know, I think it was about 90% of their chances all came from either the right or left circle or from the center of the blue line. And if you're going to do that, the one thing you need to do is have guys in place either for a deflection or for a rebound. And the Ducks, I think, leading up until that game, they had one deflection chance all season and a couple rebound scoring chances all season, which is not good enough if you're going to be a perimeter team. And they have the guys in place to do that. And then we go into the game against the Sharks. And lo and behold, they start doing that. They get a couple deflection shots on a few power play chances they had. They had some rebound chances. I believe they got – did they get a power play goal in that They did. Jacob Silverberg was able to stuff one home on what a lot of Sharks rebound, fans thought yeah. was a, a a whistle that should have gone. <laughs> they were yeah. like – Yeah, I They thought that. Jones had it. It was still a little bit free. It could have easily been blown dead. But the Ducks yeah. got plenty of wax at it, and Silverberg knocked that one in between uh, between the legs of Jones to you know get the power play. Well, yeah, it's it's a rebound chance on. Yeah. And, and again, they were sticking to perimeter shots, which is what, something they've done all year. Uh, but they were getting those deflection chances. They were getting guys in, in place to you know capitalize on rebounds. And I think they got away from that a little bit against St. Louis, and and that's going to happen. It, it's still not like they just figured things out and they just figured, oh hey, we're going to get deflection chances. It could have been a one off game. We don't know. You know, I, I don't think they turn things around all of a sudden. I hope things that have been moving in that direction. I honestly would love them to get away from perimeter shots and start trying to just at least feed pucks into the slot. I would rather them, you know, attempt five slot passes every power play and it not to work out than to take, you know, five perimeter shots. I would, as long as they were trying to make things happen from the prime scoring area on the ice eventually good things are going to happen because you know me and jason talked about how the fact uh about 43 percent of all power play goals this season have come from that slot area and the ducks have uh, i think they've attempted like three slot passes all season on the power play it's not good enough so i, I would rather them start doing that rather than taking perimeter shots but if they're going to stick to being a perimeter power play team at least get some guys in front of the net to cause some havoc I don't know how you could be a perimeter power play team in this league and be successful. Uh, and no one does it. Uh, I mean, the Ducks do San it. San Jose did it slightly, right? They used to be a high-tip team. Joe Pavelski would be that guy who Brent Burns would always kind of do a slap pass and, and Pavelski would be there to tip. And, and you know, um, Rander Kane or, or Kucher or Hurdle or Meyer would always be that guy there for the rebounds. But they didn't strictly do that. They also got some high-quality uh, high chances from the slot as well. But that's the only team I can remember. That There's nothing wrong with it, though. Tip. If you're able no. to get the high tip, it's when, like you were saying, you're not getting a deflection. I mean, deflections do a number of things, right? They, they you, means you're, 
you're obviously changing the direction of the puck for the goaltender. But more than likely, you're creating a rebound on a deflected shot. It happens a lot where if you're deflecting that puck in the slot, it's it's going to probably go down low, maybe bang off another body or bang off the goaltender, and that's where you create your chances. If if you're going to be a perimeter team, like you said, and you're not creating that, like it's literally insanity. You're doing the same thing over and over again with no result. So the fact that they have the personnel to make a power play happen without bringing in a Taylor Hall or bringing in a, a yeah. Ristolainen, they just don't utilize like this. It's just mind-boggling to me. I don't understand that. I don't understand the point of how they're running their power play. No, I, I don't, especially when I think they have the talent to to make that work where they could put guys in that high slot or in the middle part of the slot or closer to the net and, and try and attempt to make those passes. You know, Ryan Getzlaff is definitely a guy who can make a pass to the slot. We've seen it happen before. I, I think maybe one of the problems is the Ducks don't have the best setup to utilize that. Usually if you're going to have a right shot and a guy sitting on that left wall and Ryan Getzlaff to make a pass to the slot, you need a guy who's a left-handed shot to one-time that puck in. It's not a clean pass when you have Getzlaff trying to make that pass to Ricard Raquel or Jakob Silverberg in that middle part of the ice for a one-timer. It's not the best, you know, it's not the, it's not the prettiest look to get that off. And, and, you know, maybe Adam Henrique could be a guy you put in there, but usually he ends up, you know, centering the second power play. Mm-hmm. Sam Steele's kind of been a guy, but they like him on that right wall to be a similar passing option to Ryan Getzlaff. So then, then who do you have left there? You have Nick Ritchie maybe you could put in there. You could put Max Jones in there. And then you're starting to kind of get lower down in those options on guys who could do that. So, you know, I, I don't think the Ducks have a great option when it comes to Gatslap being the setup man and putting a left shot in into that uh, that center circle. And maybe that's why we've seen uh, the, the power play unit without Ryan Getzlaff do the best this year with Sam Steele uh, being able to make those passes into center ice to Ricard Raquel or Jakob Silverberg. I think that's a better option for the Ducks to – feed those two lethal goal scorers in the middle of the slot and have a guy like Sam Steele or Adam Henrique setting those guys up. Maybe that's a better option for them. And then you use Ryan Getzlaff as a shooter on that left half wall, which I don't think he'll ever do. But that that would be ideal, I think, if they could set up like that. Earlier this season, I know I don't want to keep going on the power play trend because I know you guys did it last show. But remember earlier in the season, we all talked about Ryan Getzlaff playing down by the goal line and being a distributor that way, seeing the ice from down, down by yeah. the goaltender. And it worked. Right, like it, 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 it worked would. one of those games, and we're like, "Well, we should keep doing that," and then they never did it again. I think that would work. That would be the only way you could have it, where you'd be able to have Ryan Getzlaff efficiently feeding guys like Ricard Raquel and Jakob Silverberg in those prime scoring areas, because a pass from behind the net is a little bit easier for those guys to get a you know a good one timer on rather than from coming from the left side and having to kind of deflect it in from that sense. I don't see too many teams do it anymore where they run with a, a guy behind the net and distributing the puck from behind the net and setting everything up from behind the net. I think Ryan Getzloff could definitely do it, but it would take a whole revamp of the Ducks' power play, and they seem to be content running with uh, you know the, the point shots and the shots from the, the two circles. And Let's kind of be honest here. I think it's looked better than last year, as bad as it's been. They've gotten better looks. They just have no structure, and they, they don't have a go-to play or go-to setup that, that works for them on the power play. It, it seems like they go out there with the idea that they're just going to pass the puck around and hope something opens up, and that's what they're going to go with. And th- that clearly doesn't work. And, and whether they change it around, I think that's a lot on the coaching staff setting up a new power play. Uh, for the upcoming games and the remainder of the season. I hope it changes because it needs to change because yes. if they keep going the way they are where they're just essentially winging it on the power play, it's going to struggle all year. And, and I don't think the Ducks can t- continue having 
you know, league worst or second worst power play in the league. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, uh, getting a power play is to give you the advantage. You know, when you're not able to get, be dangerous at that time, it's it's just so frustrating as a fan. And I know we've we've talked at length about it. They they need to figure it out. It'll be interesting to, interesting to see what they do against the Washington Capitals tomorrow if they're able to get a power play or two. If they're able to create some of those chances and get something in the slot, you would have to think people in management or in the organization read these articles that come out about the team. I mean, the Ducks are so so careful about who they talk to who they let in their inner circle with the media who um you know who's saying what about them and who's talking about their players you'd think that somebody reads these articles and they're like wow maybe we maybe uh this is pretty bad if we can't figure it out in-house and <laughs> everyone else is noticing that we're going to try to fix it and Akins knows he says it's they're well aware you know he, he told eric stevens you've been here long enough like you know what's going on so, but the fact that they haven't been able to figure out how to get the puck to the slot is mind blowing to me. I wanted to get to a question from Brett in chat. Uh, he was he asked. He said, "Do you think that they'll go back to Richie, Rico, and Kasha if Jones sticks on the top line?" I mean, that line has worked in the past. Yeah, I, I honestly wouldn't hate it. it, it I thought they wouldn't uh, separate Raquel, Rico, and uh, Silverberg, but we saw that last game where Raquel was playing up with Getzlaff and, and Max Jones. So. If that's the way they're going to go, I wouldn't mind seeing those three get put back together because hopefully that would mean good things for Andre Kasha. And, and we know Nick Ritchie has worked on that line before. And Adam Henrique seems to be a guy that you can put between anybody, and he seems to at least play pretty well. And we saw that this year and last year. So I wouldn't mind that. And then you have, uh, I guess, uh, you know, Jones, Raquel, and Getzlaff. And then you have uh, Steele, Silverberg, and would have been, what, Devin Shore last game or Troy Terry or whoever you want to put in there, and then you've got the fourth line as well. So I wouldn't hate it. I, I wouldn't mind seeing them put it back together. I think at this point with Andre Cash, you need to try anything to yes. get him going because he's so important to the Ducks' offense. And, you know, Silverberg's been going all year. Raquel's been going all year, which is great to see. Ryan Getzoff has been good. Uh, the kids have slowly started to turn it on in terms of Sam Steele and uh, Max Jones. Troy Terry's still struggling, so, yeah. you know, we could work things out there and see how that goes. But I think at this point, the, the big thing for the Ducks would be getting Andre Kasher going alongside Silverberg and Getzlaff and Raquel. And if uh, putting him with with Andre Kasher or with uh, Adam Henrique and, and Nick Ritchie works, I think it's worth a shot. Did you see the article, speaking of Troy Terry, on The Athletic from uh, Jordan Samuels Thomas about Troy Terry? And I heard not, about not it. Not to worry I about it. I haven't looked at it. Um, I'm. It's on my list to read because... Uh, just off based off the title, I'm a little bit uh, a little bit against it already because I think there is plenty of reasons to worry about Troy Terry not producing this year. Uh, I'm sure it dives heavily into uh, underlying numbers and looks at you know his play driving and his playmaking this year, which which has has been I guess better than than advertised. But I, I think there's plenty of reason, and, and maybe it's a topic we can get into uh, for the next show. I think uh, when, when we can dive into that article a bit more. But I, I think there's plenty of reason to worry about uh, about Troy Terry this year, especially because he's been the guy that uh, out of all four of the rookies we've talked about, the guy that was supposed to be farther along his development, be a guy that was going to contribute in the top six this year. And now, you know, with the way Comtois played, with the way Sam Steele's playing, with the way Max Jones has actually started to turn his play around, you could argue that Troy Terry's been the most disappointing of the four, which I think you would have, at the beginning of the season, expected him to be the best of the four. I mean, the the article goes pretty in-depth and actually clips out plays of how he's performed this season and how Puck Luck has had a lot to do with his chances, you know, bounce the wrong way as, as uh, 
Thomas says in his article, um, you know, he's, he's able to carry the puck in with confidence over the blue line. Uh, it's a number of things. And he said, you know, navigating, you know, your rookie NHL season, even though he's played some, some time before, uh, and yeah. if you're not named Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid, I mean, those guys, it's like playing in a beer league for those guys. I mean, not everyone has that, you know, that yeah. type of skill. So not to worry about Troy Terry necessarily. He's, he's getting chances. They're not going in. But uh, he likes that he has strong, confident play. And I think one of the biggest problems we've seen, not just with Terry, but with the youngsters in general, is not shooting the puck, right? I mean, Sam Steele, same thing, not shooting the puck. Like in prime prime scoring area, he did it against the Sharks, right in the slot, didn't shoot the puck, passed it off to the side. Whatever reason, it's just been tough on the kids this to, you know, in the first 20-some-odd games. But you go check out that article, Ben. Uh, I read it a bit. Uh, I didn't, it's a long article, so I didn't get through the whole thing. Yeah. But it, it kind of makes – if you guys haven't read it, you, those of you listening, get the athletic subscription, obviously. You have to get that. Uh, tons of coverage, which is great. But that, that article's great. Former player uh, Thomas writes a, a nice clip about Troy Terry and breaks down some things for him. So if you guys are frustrated with him, go ahead and look at that article. A lot of good points in that. For sure. Yeah, I, I think the, before we you know close this topic on, on Troy Terry, I think the one thing that you, you have to keep in mind too for most people is, is what are you expecting from Troy Terry this year? If you're expecting him to be you know close to a point per game player, I, I don't think you know especially at this point in his career, I don't think that's what he should be, or even what he could end up getting to be. I think if eventually Troy Terry becomes a forty or fifty point player uh, consistently, I think that's excellent and i think that's more than what i would expect for him to be you know long term i think a lot of hype and, and um you know unfair uh, expectations have been placed on troy terry for what he could be and i think that's why you've seen a bit of disappointment here on, on him only having what four points in 21 games this year yep. on pace for for only around 16 points at the end of the year that's far below what i expected of him but i think that's my expectations for him this year were 30 to 40 points, and I think some people expected him to hit 50 or 60. And I, I think that's where a lot of people differ on uh, what Troy Terry could do this year and what he could do in his career. And I, I think that's why we've seen some split opinions on on how bad Troy Terry's actually done this year. You know, yes, I'm disappointed in Troy Terry, but I'm not. You know, I'm not. Uh, if if he had you know four more points at this point, I'd probably be singing a little bit different of a tune. You know, eight points in, in 21 games yeah. isn't great. But that would be right around where I placed him. You know, he'd be on pace for about 32 points at the end of the season, which is kind of what I had. And I still think if he had eight points right now, some people who are disappointed in him now would still be disappointed in him just as much, right? So I think you know those people would be happy if you know only happy if he had you know 14 or 15 points at this point and was close to leading the Ducks in scoring. So I think the expectations that some people place on him kind of dictate on on how disappointed they are in his play this year. What do you make of Brendan Gooley being paired with Corbinian and Holzer instead of Cam Fowler? I mean, because they've they got they've gotten caved the past couple of games. Like they've not been yeah, good five yeah. on five. It's not been pretty for Holzer and Gooley. I think it's it's injuries, especially. I, I think the fact that Hampus Lindholm is still out, uh, you, you can't just throw Gooley and Fowler together and say, then we're going to throw Delzato and Good Branson. And uh, Larson was scratched last game, so did Mahura play last game? Yes, he did. So yeah, you can't you can't just say Mahura and Good Branson and uh, you know Larson and or whoever and, and Holzer or you know you can't just put those guys and have two really poor bottom pairings that that just I think that would work out worse than it is now and the Ducks have you know as they have done in the past have liked to spread those guys out across different pairings we saw that when they had um, 
Boschman playing with Montour and Fowler playing with Bieksa, and then obviously Lindholm and Manson on the top. They don't like to just load up one or two pairings, and I think especially with the injuries to Manson and, and Lindholm, that kind of forces you to play Gooley and Fowler separate. I, I think one one of Lindholm or Manson come back, or both of them, I think eventually we'll see Gooley back with Fowler. But right now, you, you really can't, right? You you, you just can't. You gotta. You know, those are their two best defensemen right now. You've got to yeah. kind of split it up and at least have two somewhat decent pairings instead of one very good pairing and two awful pairings. I, I just think that's the way they have to approach it right now. As, as bad as it will look uh, on the underlying stats, I think that's the way they have to go until you know Manson or Lindholm come back. Yep. No, you're right. And last last game, it was Gabranson and Mahura that that just got smoked. Um, the entire night it didn't look good at all that's, that's a tough look too but i mean every, like i mean when, you, when you're missing your top pair we've talked about it many times over the past couple of weeks it's it's going to be a tough go no matter what like you remove the top pair from if you remove the top your, your top defenseman off of uh off of any lineup across the league like how bad are these yeah. teams going to be they're going to be terrible it, it's going to be a, a real tough go no, you take, um, take your top two defensemen off any team right now, and it's a struggle for most teams. I, I think most. there are some who can some who can overcome it. I'm, you know, Nashville is one of those teams. As tough as it would be for them losing, you know, Roman Yossi and, and Ryan Ellis, they're a team that I think they have the depth they could overcome it, even without having PK Subban this year. But it would still be a loss, right? And and not to say that uh, Lindholm and Manson are on the same level as, as uh, Yossi and Ellis are. It's still a big loss losing your, your two best defensemen, no matter what team you are. Brett says that he thought that Holsey played well last night. I don't know what game you were watching, man. I mean, they, just because he didn't get scored on doesn't mean he had a good game. <laughs> he looked good compared to how he's looked in other games, pretty much, I guess you could say. <laughs> you weren't as shitty as you usually are. That's Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's how I would put it. Um, you want, is there any questions in chat we need to get to? If you guys are in chat and you want to leave a question, go ahead. We have a few questions from Instagram. Uh, we'll get to that portion of the show now. But uh, we'll see if those come in at first. We'll go to Instagram first. How about that, Ed? Yeah. So uh, a couple questions we had on Instagram. Uh, Garrett said, is it time to send Terry down to San Diego for a couple games? Seem to help with Jones. Um, yeah, I would say yes, honestly. I, I think, you know, again, if you send somebody down to San Diego at this point, you have to call somebody up. Um, you know, Andre Kasha checks back in, and then I think you could maybe call up Key for sure. He has 13 points in 14 games with San Diego. Yeah. I think, you know, you call him up and send Terry down. I don't think that hurts or helps any team in a, you know, in a, or it doesn't hurt them in a negative way because the, the goals could replace uh, Sherwood's production with Troy Terry and, and the ducks could give Kiefer Sherwood a shot. Um, and while Troy Terry goes down there and builds up his confidence, I think that would be the best option for the ducks and for San Diego right now is to call up Kiefer Sherwood and at least throw him in because he's a good guy. You can throw into your bottom six and then Troy Terry immediately gets to go down, replace Kiefer Sherwood, and play top six minutes in San Diego. I don't think it happens, but I think that would be best for Terry and for the Ducks at this point. Yeah, I'm with you. I wouldn't mind seeing him go down and light it up a bit. Um, like you said, they've done it with Jones. They've done it with Comtois now. So why not? Why not see what he can do? But then again, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen either. I don't think they're, going to, they're not going to move him down there. They like him. And obviously he's he's still creating, just not getting the bounces. So I think he's going to have to give a little more time before we decide to do that. But Kiefer Sherwood, 
not as good of a player as, as Troy Terry in my eyes. I, I don't know if that would be if that no, would suffice I, I Ducks management at all. So I don't think he is either. But I, I think at this point, four points in twenty one games. I, I think you, you might as well give somebody else a shot and and um, you know send Troy Terry back down there to gain some confidence or whatever. It worked with him last year, and, and as uh, Garrett pointed out, it, it helped with Jones this year so far. So I don't think it's it's the worst thing for the Ducks to do right now. Um, especially, you know, Andre Castro comes back in and you think of the, you know, the top six wings that could easily be at this point, Jones, uh, Raquel Silverberg and Kasha. And then you have Getzlaff and, and either Henrik or Steele up the middle. And then you throw in Nick Ritchie and Kiefer Sherwood as options on uh, the third line. Send, you know, they're not hurting in the sense that sending Troy Terry down is going to, is going to be detrimental to their offense. I think it could be good not only for Troy Terry to go down there, but it'd be a good confidence boost for Kiefer Sherwood to, you know, reward his good play in San Diego with another shot to see what he can do in the NHL. Cause when he was up there last year, you know, pretty much all of us were happy with his play. You know, he, he's not going to be a guy who's going to put up a ton of points, but he's a nice bottom six guy that can contribute offensively. So I, I think right now, if I had to pick two moves that San Diego, San Diego could make it's sending Troy Terry down and bringing up Kiefer Sherwood and sending one of either um, you know Jakob Larson or Josh Mahara down and bringing up Chris Weidman. I, I think those would be two good options for the Ducks to test those guys out and see how they can do. Well, I, I could I could I could go with that, especially on the defensive part. I would love to see yeah. another guy get a shot over over Corbinian and Holzer. To be honest with you. Uh, on the topic of uh, defense, Gavin asks us. He says, "How do you guys like the Good Branson trade so far?" I still don't like it. I still don't like it. Uh, if it was a one-year contract, if he was a rental for this year, I'd be like, whatever, because the you gave up a seventh-round pick in Andreas Martinson. Mm-hmm. It's not like you gave up anything for him. I, it's probably still too much. A seventh-round pick is, is you know not as valuable as it is. It's still a draft <laughs> piece for a guy who's not going to do too much. To be fair to Eric Branson, you know, I think we knew underlying numbers weren't going to be great, but he hasn't been that awful you know when the points weren't going to be there he's got one goal in 10 games for the ducks that that's more than i expected it's not why he was over. brought in no he was not but he's a plus three he's a plus three and only has two penalties so it's not like he's taken a ton of penalties either and i know plus minus is kind of a ridiculous stat but he hasn't been on the negative end of of goal scoring one on the ice it's just you know chances for something we knew shot attempts were going to be negative while good branson was on the ice that's been the case when he was with pittsburgh and when he was with florida as well and with vancouver so you knew that that was going to be the case with good branson so as for you know how do we like the trade it's kind of you know right around where i expected it to be maybe a little bit better than i expected it to be but that doesn't mean it's good at the same time what are his stats? He's played ten games for the Ducks one so goal. far. One goal. Yeah, and did you look at his Plus underlying three, numbers or no? I have not. Yeah, me either. But I, I didn't go back and look at him. I mean, it is what it is. I, I'm not overly upset about it. I just don't think he's been great. Um, they like him for his physical presence. That's why they brought him in. That's the whole reason why Nick Delorier is getting ice time too. It's you still got a little bit of old school mentality here in Anaheim, and you're going to see these types of guys. And like you said, it. it Four million bucks is a lot. That's a lot of money for a guy who doesn't do anything positive on the offensive side of the puck. Um, yeah, that's so, how I feel. Uh, so, good Branson over ten games with the Ducks, forty five point two Corsi four percentage. Uh, his yeah. career average is forty seven point five. The only stint he ever had where he was above fifty percent was his third year in Florida, where he finished at fifty point eight. And the 19-game stint he had with uh, Pittsburgh after getting traded over from Vancouver, he had a 54.7% over 19 games. So this is what you expect 
from Eric Goodbranson. Um, again, like when you look at mistakes defensively, I, he hasn't made a glaring amount where I'm like, wow, this is completely awful. So it's been what I expected. And like I said, maybe a little bit better than I expected, but by no means does that mean the trade has been good. I don't no. think it's ever going to be good. Um, I don't think Eric Goodbranson is ever going to be good for Anaheim, but if he can just not be bad, that's better than nothing. I think the, the sticking point for me is always going to be he's on here for another year at $4 million. And you look at next year with Corey Perry's bio going up to over $6 million. That's not going to put the Ducks in a tough cap crunch in the sense that they have to sign anybody. But if they wanted to go out and explore any trades or going to get some free agents, then you're stuck there with you know that extra $4 million that you probably didn't need. And you could have just called up Chris Weidman or Yanni Hockenpah and gave them a chance and probably got similar production out of those two than what you get with Goodbranson. Well, yeah, we talked about it before. He's um, he's here, and he wasn't the first choice. You know, they were trying to get Kevin Shattenkirk, trying to get Justin Falk. Didn't work out. Got Eric Goodbranson. It's not like Bob Murray and team didn't try to get a talented guy. I mean, you look at the year right now that Shattenkirk's having. I mean, granted, he's playing on a great, you know, talented team in Tampa, which is where he obviously wanted to go to try to win a cup. The Ducks are in that window right now, so that's probably why they didn't get him. But you also look at Goodbranson's playing on a team that's not being amazing either, right? Like, it's it's not like he's playing on, on a team that's playing high-level hockey night in, night out. He's not the yeah. only bad guy on this squad. So. No, for sure. He's, he's not. Um, do we have any other questions in chat? I think that that was it for Instagram. Um I think the only thing we have left is we just got to quickly look ahead at uh, the Washington game, right? Yeah, we can keep that brief. What do we got? Uh, they play tomorrow in Washington. Um, Washington's still the best team in the <laughs> NHL. Yep, killing it. Points, 15, <laughs> 3, and 4. And, of course, uh, Ovechkin uh, leading them in goals. He's got 14 goals on this year. Yeah, we talked about John Carlson at the beginning of the year, I think, on one of our Patreon shows. Um, uh, who was it? Paul Coffey said he could potentially score 100 points this year. Well, that's... Uh, that's out of reach, I think. I mean, he has 32 and 22, so it's maybe not out of reach. I don't know. What would that put him on pace for? Around 95, 94 points? Right what is that right now? He's at 32 in 22. So I think that would put him on pace for about about like 93 or 4 points. So I don't think he's going to hit um, 100 points in a season by any means. But... The Washington Capitals, despite not getting great goaltending, are one of the best teams, or are, I guess they are the best team in the league right now. Um, and so he's all, at 32 points. ESPN.com does projected based on what they've done. What they've done, eight goals, 24 assists. He's projected for 30 goals, 89 assists for 119 points if he keeps the pace. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't think so. <laughs> but <laughs> it's kind of a big ass. But you never know. And 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 the the thing I think with the Capitals this year is they're getting scoring not just from Ovechkin. So Kuznetsov has been great since coming back from the suspension. Uh, Bakshim has been himself. T.J. Oshie's been pretty good. Uh, and then Tom Wilson and, and Jakob Vrana have been really good. And, and so their top six is is very very dangerous. And that's something the Ducks are going to have to go into. And then and again, getting points from the blue line and John Carlson is, is going to be a, a big task for the ducks to handle and this is a team who comes in ninth ranked power play sixth ranked penalty kill third ranked offense in the league so if you're going to beat them it almost seems like you're going to have to try and outgun them which is going to be very difficult to do um it's a tough matchup you know i I think we said the blues were going to be a very tough matchup being Mm -hmm. the best team in the western conference so far this season and now you go right from there after an impressive win against them and you go and face the capitals um i believe it's it's at 
it's in Washington too. So you're going to play in Washington against the best team in the league. It's it's the toughest game of the season, I think. And and it's a it's a statement game, I think, for the Ducks going into this one, seeing how they can kind of hold pace against the best team in the league. Yeah, and the Ducks they you know they've hemorrhaged the second most scoring chances against five on five this season. So and the Capitals I think have had the second most chances for this season five on five so it's going to be very yeah. interesting what kind of uh tale we get this we get to look at tomorrow when we talk on wednesday's night show uh so before we wrap this up uh if you like hearing us obviously if you're listening you made it this far you do and you would like some more uh, you know stuff other than just ducks talk eddie jason and i also do a patreon where we do two shows a month uh, those are extra bonus shows that you would get. Um, you head over to Forever Mighty, or it's patreon.com slash puckguysforevermighty, and uh, you can check out our tiers there. We have tons of stuff that we give back to you guys. We do a Pucks and Brews show, which we're doing next weekend. That's why there's no NHL news on this show today. Uh, we'll be covering all of that basically next weekend when we drink beer with you guys. Um, you know, obviously, virtually, we'll be over Skype where you guys can join us on YouTube Live. Um, and then you, if you can't make it the live show, that's fine. We always put it up and privately down. You can privately download it. We'll send you guys the link to listen to after. We also do a rant show where basically you know, we all get fired up about something and uh, go on some fun rants. Not always hockey related, not always ducks related. So if you want more hockey news from us, um, check us out on Patreon. But uh, Ed, win or loss tomorrow, we have a game on Wednesday. It's the only game between now and Wednesday. What are we looking at here for the ducks? What are they going to win? Or are they going to lose? Yeah, I'm going to make you uh, make you predict here. Man, I never like saying uh, the Ducks are going to lose. Washington's but... been up and down too. They have. I mean, they're the best they team have. in the league. They, they but these last five games. One after... Yeah, the last five games. They're six one and one in the in the month of November, uh, but they do have two losses in their last four. They lost in a shootout to Arizona and a five two loss to Montreal. Yep. Um, but they did beat Boston three two in a shootout in their last game, which is a big win for them. So um, I, I think it's going to be a lot closer than some people would think. I think a lot of people are expecting the Ducks to get blown out in this game, but especially if John Gibson is playing, the Ducks are always in the game. And I think they, they have some momentum after you know snapping a five-game losing streak and, and beating one of the best teams in the league. Uh, and for some reason against the Caps, they always seem to come out to play, mm-hmm. and it always seems to be a barn burner every game. It's never like a two-one game. It always ends up being like five-four, or six-five, <laughs> or something. Uh, I think that was was it. The last time they played the Caps was it the comeback or no? Oh boy, I think that might have been the last time they played the Caps, but it always seems to be that type of game. So I think ultimately, I think that the Washington ends up winning this game, but I would not be surprised to see the Ducks make this a close game and potentially take it overtime. I would. I'm going to go ahead and say the Ducks get another road win out, and they they uh, sweep the you know the Cup champs for the past two seasons back to back wins. I'm going to go there on that. It's one. a good momentum boost if they do, because uh, after that they've got uh, Florida, Tampa, New York as their next three games. After that, which uh, I don't want to say it gets a little bit easier because Tampa is still as bad as they played this year. Is still a great team, and but you know Florida started turning it on lately, and uh, I believe I can't tell. I think that's the Rangers. Not the Islanders, but if okay, now I gotta check because if that's the Islanders, then it's a tough stretch. Oh, Let's it's see. it's uh, Florida on Thursday. Ducks play in. No, Florida. I said yeah, it's Florida. So the next three games after this are Florida, Tampa, and the Islanders. So it it doesn't get any easier. So I think this is a nice momentum boost to go out and and, and if you can beat the Caps to you know give you some some momentum on this in this next stretch where you go down through Florida and you play Florida the, the Panthers who have kind of turned it on as of late and Barkov has been uh, unbelievable then you go play 
the team that was supposed to be the best team in the league and and still has some lethal weapons and Stamkos, Kucherov, and Braden Point, and then to go to the Islanders and and have to deal with uh, Barry Trotz and and how I mean the Islanders point percentage wise are the best team in the league this year. So it's a, it's a tough four game stretch here, and I think it all begins with how well they play against the Capitals. Yeah, I mean the Ducks beat Washington in February five to two, and then in December of twenty eighteen. They beat them six to five. Before that, they beat the Capitals four nothing. So they've been beating the Caps. So that's it's yeah. not it's not a bad omen. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, we also have a watch party coming up uh, next Saturday. Uh, Bombay just brought it up in chat. So thank you, Shane. Appreciate it to remind us. But we're going to be meeting at Lampos Pizza in in oh my god in West Yorba Linda. <laughs> I almost <laughs> forgot where it was going to be at. Game time is at 4 p.m. It will be puck drop. Jason and I will be there around 3.30. Ed will be there in spirit unless he decides to fly down here. But he doesn't like yeah, to fly to California. So. He just you know, <laughs> doesn't like coming to California. He likes to freeze it's his all right. ass off. If, if, uh, if the Rangers finish higher than the Devils this year, I get a trip down there anyway. So. They, they, it might happen. Let's hope not, though. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But uh, we'll be posting stuff on, on all over social media to remind you guys about the watch party, what's going on at the watch party. I'm sure we'll have giveaways and uh we'll have a good time we hope to see you guys there and i think that's it for the night we'll talk to you guys on wednesday see you guys